0: Welcome back to Strange Table Fellows Unlimited, where we like to STF you for once and listen to the wise words of our wonderful guest. I tried to do a little alliteration thing there, and I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> I'm your host, Zach, joined as always by the man with the plan, Adam. Hello, hello. How's it going, Adam? And today we've got an awesome guest on the show. He is the managing creative director for Starfinder, a prolific writer and homebrewer, and I hear a fellow Soulsborn enjoyer the on-call GM himself, Thurston Hillman. thirsty. welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hello. hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're thirsty. so excited. Yeah. what's the best Soulsborne game, and why is it Bloodborne? <laughs> oh, it's Bloodborne.
1: I mean, that's, that's like <laughs> not even a question. Though, 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 I am one of those people who will die on the hill of Dark Souls 2 sometimes, so... You, you know, are yeah. a Dark Souls 2 defender. I am.
0: I absolutely am. Okay, alright, so... In full disclosure, before we get into anything, I have to... (laughs) Anything relevant. This this (laughs) is the the important stuff right here. To me, this is what's important. (laughs) I picked up Dark Souls 2, and, you know, I made it to Majula, and I I think I finished the the, the headless tree giant or something in, like, a forest area. You go into, like, a hollowed-out tree or something. And I bounced off of it really quickly. It's the only one that I have not... Completed, you know, so, ki- w- w- Why should I like what? Like what? I didn't. I hated the hit scan. Like there's no stagger. It just felt clunky to me. It's because you know, I I really enjoy it for
1: once again my favorite reason of enjoying any Soulsborne game. I love how they do storytelling, and I think some of the storytelling in that game is just some of the like you have to go the furthest to get it, but, like, once you start seeing things, it's like, oh, this makes... Especially with Scholar of the First Sin. Like, don't play the right. original, get Scholar of the First Sin. Uh, but I, I just think it is, a, it is a very solid game that does have a few areas that, like... Challenge norms in terms of play style like I think the like under, underwater lake is one of just like my favorite zones for atmosphere I just think the game has really good atmosphere like really good soundtrack like it, it just feels very good for me but that being said I like I'll, I'll play a Soulsborne game no matter how bad the controls and the gameplay <laughs> are so <laughs> like, okay okay uh, well
0: I, I agree I mean you know the first time I went to Majula I was like oh wow this is you know this is stunning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, I, I I feel you on the atmosphere, for sure. I, I, I will say, uh, though,
1: that the fact that you can, like, run out mobs in zones becomes really bad. If you're someone like me who gets angry at points, and I'm like, I'm just going to grind a whole bunch of monsters to get a whole bunch yeah, of souls. That's and,
0: like yeah, that's, like, the only one that does that, right? Yeah, you can yeah, yeah. You can... It's like a a grind prevention sort of thing. It's it's incredibly weird and also incredibly frustrating
1: when you die with souls and um lose them because you can't get them back. So it's it's mm. it's got weird things to it. It's you know what? it's it's like a quirky game that I just I just enjoy for for what it is. It tried some new things. But Bloodborne well, is obviously the best one. There's there's no question. If, yeah, um,
0: I mean it, it just is what it is. So you know, standing, standing up on my said,
1: desk is my is my queen, my Lady Maria. Oh, Lady yeah. Maria. Let's
0: go. Let's go. Uh, did we just become best friends? No. Um, so who do I have to talk to to get the ball rolling on a, a shameless ripoff of a Bloodborne AP in a Paizo system? Like, like who? Who? I, I need to make this happen. Well, it's it's funny you mention that um,
1: because because. Um, one of the Starfinder books that just came out. Um, and this is where, like, I, I get to abuse some of my newfound powers, which I really like in my new role. Um, Ports of Call um, has this, like, cool thing in it called, like, a, a galaxy map that's a poster map of the Starfinder galaxy in the back. And I sure did get to take something that was from my homebrew campaign and be like, you know what? This is just going in the core setting now. I'll just put it on the map here. There, <laughs> this there, is here there, there may or may not be, like, a nation in there that's, like, our you know interstellar civil that's just space bloodborne. I, you know, I'm not saying that it's official yet, but, you know, when you're in my position, you can make things official when
0: you need to. So, uh... (laughs) Well, tentatively, I just want to say I really appreciate that, Thurston. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I I I need it in my life. Uh, But speaking of your background, right, you are the managing creative director uh, for Starfinder at Paizo. And before we get into that specifically, I kind of wanted to ask... About your background, we like to ask how people got into gaming in these in these sort of interviews. So, how did you get into tabletop, and then more specifically, working on Starfinder for Paizo? Yeah, so so my like
1: tabletop wee lad thirsty career in gaming actually began with. Um tabletop miniature games. I started with, uh, back in, like, the, oh gosh, I want to say 90s now, oh god, um, when I was a wee, 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 wee child, um, I, you know, I played, I started off with Battletech, having no understanding of the rules of that game but when I tried it, but I like big, stompy robots, so, and I had some older friends in my friend group who knew the rules and just told me what dice to roll. Uh, and then I went into my, you know, other life addiction, Warhammer 40,000 at the time, um, but along with that, you know, you're, you're doing other things at the time. I picked up the Dragonlance series. That got me into d and I got really heavy into second edition D&D at the time when it was kind of hitting the end of its life cycle. I was one of those, you know, teenage, my teenage years where I'm like, I'm never switching to third edition. That did not last <laughs> long at all.
2: Um till you die. Yeah, right, right,
1: right. <laughs> like, again, like, edge teen thirsty. No. Um, and then what ended up happening was I, you know, graduated high school i ended up uh moving into like a, a kind of gamer nerd house with two of my good friends where i think at one point we were running like four campaigns a week and it, you know live in the <laughs> dream so to speak um and at that point i ended up doing some freelance for a company um if you've ever heard of en world i did some stuff for en publishing yeah. they did um uh, adventure path called war of the burning sky which i did like a bonus adventure for in a like call they had, you know, an open call they had to add some stuff to their hardback compilation. I'd actually been running the campaign. Um, then I ended up doing 4e conversion to Pathfinder from uh, b- 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 their Zeitgeist campaign which is like a, their second adventure path they did so Pathfinder 1E conversion that was kind of like my start and foray into writing and then I even wrote some of those okay. adventures and did, did some stuff like that um, and it, during all of that uh, this you know random company you may have heard called Paizo had an open call for um, Pathfinder Society and I uh, put in a uh, I put in a, an adventure and um, and at the time, I think it was Josh Frost was the person running ArcPlay, and he sends me back this, like, thing that's like, well, Mr. Hillman, having an adventure that has the players, like, going to find Vault and then ending with them fighting a rust monster that can destroy all their equipment in organized play, and the rust monster has also eaten all the treasure they have, like, come to save is probably not a satisfying experience for players. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, 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 no, I'll never forget this. It's like, but... You, you can write. Like, you, you, you know how the the art of writing works. So, uh, which, which is a lot more than sometimes what we get in our freelance pool of applicants. Right. So, like, hey, make these changes and, you know, send it back and we'll see what happens. So, I, you know, stubborn me. I make my changes and I send them in and don't hear anything for, like, six months. I remember I was actually. Fine. I'm yeah. taking all the loot out of this adventure. Yeah, night. yeah, Fine. no, no. Actually, you know what? Like, it's funny. And this is, like, a piece of freelance advice I give to anyone is, like, you know, um, let your children die. Don't, like, die on the hill of anything because, you know, this industry is all about being able to, like, compromise. Like, there is no hashtag the vision, especially when you're starting off as someone who's writing for other people. Um, right. So, like, when I started, I was like, okay, I'll make these changes, you know better. Uh, sent them <laughs> off. I was actually uh, I was actually overseas in, like, the Emirates for my old job, which was in tech. Uh, and I got this email, and they were like, hey, uh, so we want you to write this adventure, which, okay, started off my career. I'd started in ArcPlay. I did a lot of stuff in ArcPlay. Scenarios, interactive specials, like even a weird special they ran at PaizoCon. This all sort of culminated in a... Rob McCreary, who was the like one of my predecessors in the head of Starfinder role, he offered me my first adventure path for uh for Pathfinder, which I wrote and I, you know, certainly had done a bunch of other books, like just as freelance. Um and where it all kind of came to a head was around shortly after my my first AP, um I was in I was in IT at the time. I was doing, you know, um project management for, like, a medium-sized airline in IT. Very boring stuff. Um, (laughs) And, like, it was involved with a merger and da-da, and so they were, like, had to downsize, like, half the staff. I was one of the ones to go, because they had a choice between, like, me or the son of the, like, head of the the department, and I'm like, well, I guess, but, you know, hey. Nepotism wins. Hey, uh, you know, unemployment enjoyment is great, right? So so I get my, like, you know, severance and all that, and I'm sitting there with my partner, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I you know, I might go back into IT, like, I could get a job, no problem. But like, yeah, I've got all this freelance. I'll just start freelancing. And so like started this like trickle of freelancing full time for Paizo to the point that I was like, you know, writing two adventure paths at once and a module just because like hey they needed people to backstop stuff um, right. and eventually yeah I, I get this message I'm going to Gen Con that year and I get a message from uh, Eric Mona who's like hey uh, you want to you wanna go out for, for dinner one night and Eric you know the publisher of Paizo um, invites me out for dinner and you know we're, we're sitting and chatting he's like so um, we have this uh, the Starfinder game that we just announced at Paizo Con that's really exciting and uh, we just realized we probably need an org." organized play for that we don't have anyone to do that right now how would you like <laughs> to do that um and so that's kind of how i started off at paizo um like as a the you know, official employee um Mm -hmm. i ended up uh doing like starting the the starfinder society organized play and this was before you know the like starfinder had launched so i was involved with like a lot of behind the scenes stuff at the beginning with Starfinder, getting it all set up yeah. yeah getting it getting it all set up um but also just like you know there there were certain rules things like john compton who was running organized play at the time um you know, him and I, uh, like had a pretty good understanding of, you know, the, the player mentality. Uh, so when we were looking at the Starfinder initial rules, there were certain things that like we just immediately like latched onto and were like, we have to fix this before the book goes to print. We have to fix this. So there were a lot of things yeah. like I think <laughs> in the original version of Starfinder, it was possible to just ready actions to throw grenades, like first level grenades. So spellcasters could never get a spell off. Um, oh, there man. was, there was like a, <laughs> There was a th- oh we, we calculated out in the original like okay, so you would have to as a first level character save every credit you're assumed to get to eighth level before you could like afford a raise dead like equivalent. Like so, you couldn't even like theoretically get them to like mid high level. Like it was just and all of this. If you did not
2: spend anything, anything, right? anything, right. right? Which, yeah. which you
1: know, and like maybe in a in a like AP or something where you're picking up loot and da da da, like you're you not, not selling everything, you're fine. But like in organized play, certainly that doesn't work because like no, characters yes. are dying. So you know we 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 got to get our hands dirty with the rules. Help out a lot. I remember doing you know like starship combat stuff, all sorts of things. Um, and so I did that for, you know the first, uh, through the first three seasons of uh, Starfinder Society, which was four years because our first season of Starfinder Society was like a double truck um, two-year event. And then, yeah, uh, then there were some staff changes. I ended up jumping over to help Pathfinder Society for their second edition in Season 2, sort of wrapping up Season 2. And then I ended up jumping again because they'd been doing these things called digital one-shots, and up until that point, those digital one-shot adventures had been like, kind of whatever developed was free to work on them and they decided hey maybe we should have one person who's doing this consistently along with some like other miscellaneous like the interactive Making specials yeah
2: right have a through line and everything yeah
1: so I did that um and I did that for a couple months before um I pitched this project for scoured stars let's do a hardback compilation I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit um and I started <laughs> doing that as like part of my uh part of my, my job and then uh, there were some more staffing changes and uh sure enough um I and Ended up hopping on as the uh, the managing creative director for Starfinder, um, and that role is sort of like a, a new thing that the team hasn't had before. So,
0: so what exactly does that entail? Being the managing creative director of Starfinder, like what do, what do you do? What do you, what does your team do? Yeah, for people who might not be like familiar with the industry. Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. So so it's a bit different than um, our current like other two departments right now. Pies sort of uh, on the like creative side. We're, we're structured into three pods. Um, there's Pathfinder um, narrative, um, and that is kind of the adventures line. So that's, you know, modules, adventure paths, and that has a manager that's Linda Zayas Palmer, and then a creative director that's James Jacobs. Um, then there is now the Pathfinder rules and lore team, and that sort of, you know, the designers, but also like people who've been working on some of those Lost Omens books. So, similar vein the manager on that side is michael sayer and then the creative director is uh Luis loza um the difference being the manager is the person who kind of does all of the uh scheduling and like performance reviews and dealing with employees and like you know having final say on like high 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 end product stuff the creative director is the person who is supposed to have you know the the vision the, like the the influence and through-line on the the creative elements. They'll be the one who's, like, pushing story arcs. They'll be the one, you know, pushing what contents may be going in some of those books. Um, And so, in Starfinder, we're a smaller team, and we realized, like, it didn't make sense for us to have both of those roles be separate, especially, like, you know, right now, we're um, really like a three-slash-four-person team, and so it made more sense to... Jenny? Yeah, so so the people on the team right now are, uh, you know, myself. uh, Jenny Jarzabski is our... um, Senior developer. We've recently hired um, Dustin Knight, uh, or late last year, who's come on as our you know developer. Um, and then you know, though technically reports to to Linda, I, I do consider you know Jessica Catalan, like uh, who runs uh, Starfinder Society, uh, like an integral part of what we do on the Starfinder team. Sure. She sits in all of our meetings. I I, I just don't do her performance reviews, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right, right? But those are those are sort of right now the the four like primary folks who are on. Star Starfinder, uh, and my role in that is is to basically have a have a handle, you know, on the the, the staffing stuff that I mentioned, you know, scheduling and like you know, um, making sure you know I approve your time off requests and ooh, do performance reviews, all also, yeah, all that, all that, which you know <laughs> I have background from from my from my time in IT, yeah, but then also um, just the the creative direction side, and, and that is you know to me the more exciting one, which is you know obviously, yeah, you, obviously. Get to, uh, yeah. you get to do you know like planning out of, you know, books that are coming out. You get to work with the team. You get to do mentorship. Um, so a lot of, like, how, how the, the, the trickle-down works in the team right now is I'll be the one who will maybe pitch some high-vision stuff. And this is not, you know, me telling, like, ha everyone has to do what I say, but we have talks about this. Um, and yeah. we, we, you know, we, we come in to, you know, discuss, like, what books we want to do, how we want to approach these books. Um, and then, you know, Jenny will get some of that. Dustin will get some of that. Um, as the senior role, Jenny takes on some some different tasks or does more mentorship directly so so it's kind of you know a a, a a solid a solid working relationship right now um which we haven't quite you know seen a lot of the visible fruits of because a lot of the books that are coming out are still things that were you know in the works from before I took over the team which right. has been interesting
0: right right, right. some leftovers what, from is Port <laughs>
2: your first like where that you're involved in or is that still old
1: oh I don't get like d- like books I've pitched don't happen until after Starfinder Enhanced. So, it's oh, actually, wow. okay. it's actually like, like, we do these books, keep in mind, like, long, long time. In advance. Sure. There's like, a, a lot of people think that it's just like, ah, oh, they they get the freelance text in, they get the freelance text like, Developed, and that's it. Now, there's so many other steps that go into this. It has right. to get laid out, it has to get copy fit, it has to get edited. That's there's also an edit before that. There's also, you know, has to go to a printer. It takes time for us to send those files overseas, get them printed, come back, ship. Like, there's so many steps in this process. So, yeah. Yeah. When, when we're talking about, yeah, books, like, you know. That being said, when it came to um, ports of call and enhanced, I I was certainly in the room uh, discussing them with the team. Um, enhanced was actually one of the ones I had like I put up my dukes and fought for because I thought it was a really important book that we needed in the ecosystem at the time.
0: And we're we're definitely going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah, Don't don't worry about that. We're gonna talk. I'm curious. Do you have a a a canon timeline anywhere of like? Where certain APs or modules or organized play scenarios fit into a broader Starfinder timeline? Absolutely. So this
1: actually fits in with, with a lot of what I've been doing right now since taking over the team, which is, you know... Um, a lot of people have been asking, like, "Where's all the Starfighter announcements?" Well, one thing I did when I took over the team, and I thought it was important, was to sit down and like start recalibrating and being like, "Like, okay, where are we in our life cycle? What does the game need? You know, what directions should we be going? What's worked? What hasn't worked?" And part of that is, is yeah, looking over our old APs, looking over you know some of the the timeline elements of our game, like what's happened, what do we have, what don't we have? Um, and, and with APs, we always assume as a default um, that we have kind of like a, a weird equation of um, years in, in Starfinder. So it, much like in, in Pathfinder, you can actually equate the current year in Starfinder to the current year in like on yeah. Earth, right? Um, and I, yeah. So so that is something we look at. So when an AP is released, theoretically, um, what that means, like, because the game came out in... Um, was it? Yeah, 20, 2017. So, yeah, it's Ooh. like 317. Um, the 3xx 3 would correspond oh. to our current year. Um, so, right now, for example, in the pack worlds, it'd be like the 323. Um, mm-hmm. But when we do APs, we actually assume that they occur when the AP was released. So, like, Dead Sons, for example, would take place in 3.17. Now, uh, that becomes interesting because one thing we do in the addition cycle to avoid spoilers and a bunch of other stuff, with some exceptions, is we'll do things like, yeah, these APs occur, but we don't actually lock them in the timeline until we, like, have a, a book or some event that makes it very relevant. Uh, a good example of this is, like, mm-hmm. the, the Drift Crisis event that we just had happen, right? We had a whole section in there that talked about, you know, oh, how, how you could like, you know, use the Drift Crisis for all these APs that we've come out with. Um, but we don't like, we don't assume that you're running it in three, you know, 317. Uh, there are some interesting products that deviate from that. A good Another good example is like Scoured Stars. Scoured Stars, when it comes out, assumes that it's happening in 317 AG. And there's like part of the book that talks about that um, because, you know, in Ports of Call, one of our new books coming out, well, there's like a settlement in the Scoured Stars now, but in the AP you haven't even explored it so we do some timeline advancement and internally we have like a sort of canon timeline that we 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 build upon but there's there's a snap to effect a good example of this would be like when pathfinder uh came out with second edition they actually like codified the results of a bunch of ap's and sort of snap forward it um so when we have a good example like that oh my gosh thurston just confirmed starfinder sec no i didn't i'm what i'm saying is is when (laughs) there is a when there is a like a good product or a good time we can do that snap forward uh but we do keep, keep
0: tabs on all Okay, I, I figured you had to, yeah, right. right. So, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to get confirmation. I, it's, I good, it's good to know
2: are. because we run a lot of APs, and we also try to make sure that everything that happens in our on our shows is kind of consistent in a in a STF universe. And so we try to keep the timelines as close to absolutely possible uh, accurate as possible. But you know, we we ran one group through Aeon Throne Signal Screens signal screams and devastation are and so we had to get kind of creative with how we push the timelines on that um, mm-hmm. just to so that we could keep it all somewhat accurate would you say that the same thing is in place for the single book modules kind of the same kind of rough
1: if it came out in this year that's yeah I, I, I correlates think to the same that's generally our default assumption like some of them yeah. like drift crisis case files well that has to come out you know during the drift crisis right right uh right. which we sort of establish the, you know, our rough timeline on but some of the ap's like we don't ever want someone to feel like oh i'm running dead sun so i have to run like five years ago like in drift crisis we include those rules on like hey this is how you play dead suns during the drift crisis like you can for your games, we want you to have that ownership. You know, I, I'm the same way. When I run my home games, I have my like home universe canon that differs yeah, from totally. stuff we have in core books. You have to, right? Especially if right. you're, you know, like a, an insano who runs multiple games and wants them all to be consistent with one another. Like that, which we are yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, right. Uh, even if like even if you as the GM are the only consistent through line, it doesn't matter to, yeah. Um, yeah. so no, like internally we, we, we have that sort of locked in as like release dates, but there's some, there's some wiggle room. Again, a good example. Scoured stars is like something we're releasing now in early 2024, but assumes, you know, 317. So that's like, yes, what, seven years beforehand now. So yeah. Right.
0: Right. So let's, let's dig into Starfinder. Uh, as as a, a system and as as a, a universe, a, a lore. What what are some of your favorite aspects of Starfinder? Because I mean, obviously, you know, this is our system of choice. We love Starfinder, but for you, what what do you really latch on to when it comes to Starfinder specifically? Oh gosh, oh gosh, pick your favorite ch- children. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so first of all, from like. Someone who started off my career a lot in Pathfinder. I I adore Pathfinder, but one of the the difficulties in like a world like Galarian is I just want to make up something completely new and introduce some entirely new thing. And like blessings to, like, the second edition folks who have been coming out with some amazing new content, like, you know, the Mwangi book, the Tian Sha book that's up up and coming. Like, they're really, like, treading new ground. But even then, it's it's not necessarily new ground, right? Like, it's it's, just it's, fleshing, it, it's out. fleshing out You're stuff right? that is yeah. established, and there's no, like, oh, we're gonna find a whole new continent unless we, you know, start, like, digging into some of those other continents. I think with Starfinder, what really excites me is that ability for us to bring in stuff that we need. Um now that being said I also think that one thing Starfighter as a as a brand needs to focus on a bit more um is on established brand loyalty And, you know, not just having every story be kind of disconnected from the whole and, you know, hey, we do this AP, but it doesn't have any bearing on like the the wider setting or this adventure that's maybe off in a corner and it's like a cool thing for your players to experience. But what's the impact of that on the broader setting? And then, you know, looking at, you know, some of our groups we have like, you know, like Hell Knights and Knights of Galarian and all of these different factions, I think, you know, the setting should be diving into those more and, and exploring what's going on. One thing with Starfinder that I really like that it does is it offers a lot of promises um, with you know different story arcs that are going on, you know different different factions that exist in the game, and I think it's high time that we start delivering on some of those um, some some of those those story arcs and promises in, in like would, in a very fulfilling way.
2: Yeah, that would make. Uh one of our castmates very happy Heath who you know he again Starfinder is our game of choice but Heath has always been like you know, we have these wonderful pack worlds, but none of the adventures take place on the pack worlds And He, wa- he wants a try axis adventure so bad; he, he, it's, it's literally coming out of his face. Just try
1: axis please, you know. So, so like, so, I think so, so does Jenny. So don't worry, not alone. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's at least one person on the team uh, who well, that's, is. That, that's a yeah. pretty important
2: person and uh, mm-hmm. role to mm-hmm. have in your in her favor on that too. So.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely. You uh, know what the system needs more of. I was going to ask you what you know, what have even your goals for uh Starfinders is taking this position and I would hope that telling more stories within the Pact Worlds established settings would certainly be one of those and it sounds like it is. Yeah, oh, ab-
1: absolutely, absolutely. I can't I can't go into details on like, you know, unannounced products, but certainly one yeah. of one of the things we- I've I've pushed for is a lot of like we we have done a one of the things I, I noticed when I came in is that Starfinder is a very broad setting, and I think it's done really well at, like, you know, I, I, I view the game right now as, like, we've been building the board, right? Like, we've been Ooh. putting all these pieces out and just expanding the board and expanding the board and expanding the board. The thing that the setting I, I think could benefit from um, is more depth, and that's, like, digging into some of these things that we have. You know, factions that have, like, you know, Hell Knights that have, like, a two columns spread on them that's that's not enough for some players um and so I, i think like really focusing and that that goes in with like our adventure paths as well making sure that when we're doing adventure paths we're really focused on you know specific elements and what elements we want to bring into those ap's um what are the stories we're telling and what is the impact of these stories um the uh, I mentioned before we were, I like you know I sort of sat down with the team once I took over and we started looking at things from a very strategic level from you know a very like where do we want to go what do we want to do and. Those have been some of like the most creatively fulfilling meetings of my life because it's really good for us to sit down and go, you know, we should do this or, you know, hey, maybe maybe we could look at doing this. Um, I, I strongly recommend we're going to have it. Uh, Pies next month, a um, secrets of the Pact world panel. Uh, we're going to announce some some new stuff there. So you'll probably want to be there for that. But uh, <laughs> also I, I plan on like having the team talk about just some of this stuff that we've been, you know, spitballing. We've been having meetings uh, fairly recently. Just about like the pack worlds, and like, hey, what's going on on Akaton right now? And then they will be like, oh well, in Starfinder Society, we introduced a portal to the first world that's like making part of the planet green. Oh, okay, <laughs> like what's the impact of that? And then just like starting to starting to look at things and like you know what are our small what yeah. are our small changes? What are our big changes? And like we're we're starting to to line some of that up. And I think even with APs that you know adventure products and material that maybe we haven't announced yet, you're gonna you're gonna see a focus. On some, um, some really big mysteries, like big question answers that people nice. have been like, "Hey, this thing," um, I, I you know I wrote for it. I love Attack of the Swarm. I think it's a great adventure path, um, but I also think there was a certain subset of people out there who were like. But it's kind of off in the boonies from in a place we've never heard of, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's really fun and like gets that storytelling. But like it intentionally doesn't like make a big impact on the setting. And I think with the team we have right now, we really want to have some big impact events where you know the players are seeing the setting change as a result of what's going on. Mm -hmm.
0: Awesome, I love I love that Uh, because that is certainly one of those things that I think has been. I guess a weakness of Starfinder especially with written material APs and such as you said we have this incredible setting with all these pieces on the board and then we get an AP that carries the adventure so far away from anything that we've established on the board mm-hmm. that's why I've really enjoyed running Fly Free Your Die right now is because we're actually visiting places that are talked about are known are locations within the Pact World setting mm-hmm. that you know we have a frame of reference for right and i think that's really great but let's talk about starfinder enhanced yeah. why do you think that starfinder is in a place to need an enhanced version all right so starfinder enhanced i think um
1: it bears it bears a few things um one, a lot of people have been like equating it to like, oh, this is like Pathfinder Unchained at the end mm-hmm. of First Edition. First of all, I want to like come in and like quash any rumors or whatnot. This is not some stealth, haha. We're testing Second Edition out. No, please, this is that's not what this book is about. Um, I I will equate this book and kind of how I view it is this is com 2, Electric Boogaloo. This is the Character Operations Manual Part 2. It's just adding two to the end of a book never sells it as well. Um, and, and why I think that's, like not a bad thing is because one of the areas especially in our in our hardbacks that's like really difficult for us to balance is you know the amount of narrative the amount of like very specific sort of mechanical elements that go into it that surround the narrative of the book you know tech revolution that's going to be about tech stuff galactic magic it's probably going to be about magical equipment but where's the book that gives you 90 new feats to just broaden out your character well this is going to be starfinder enhanced um you know i i am a firm believer that, you know, when you work in this industry, there's two things you need to do. You need to play your game and you need to play other games. So I'm, I'm a fiend for like playing other guy, you know, I picked up the alien RPG recently and I'm looking to get that going. I picked, you know, I've got two Pathfinder second edition campaigns on the go after just finishing up a Starfinder campaign I ran. Um, But through play, you kind of see even if it's anecdotally on the team but it becomes important you see what the like the state of the game is um and so a lot of what enhanced came from was you know people on the team talking about like hey we've been playing the game what are what are some of the weaknesses you know N- and not just listening to the like forgive people who post on you know forums and reddits and discords all the time but not just listening to loud voices cuz that's mm-hmm. that is a trap that becomes very Very difficult to avoid. There are a lot of people who do a lot in our community, and of course, these are the people we want to keep happy and keep buying our books. But there's a lot of people who will be like, "Oh well, definitely the focus needs to be on like high level, like twenty get takes us to twentieth level adventures." Well, that's good for like a subset of people, but it might not necessarily be you know the best product for the brand. You know, you know, given how many players we have or whatnot. There's always stuff to look at, Um, and so enhanced was a chance for us to. Broaden the player content in the game, which I think putting it into one concise book—you uh, know, our 188 pages, I think, um, or 192—is um, like just a just a great opportunity for us to get more content out to people to literally enhance their game. Um, and I would say the bulk of this content is player player useful, um, but that's not to say that you know any anything the players can use the gm can use too which is great but also um there are some other rule systems in this book um to give an example because i can you know use my magical powers here of like pulling up the pdf in front of me oh it looks so cool look at that yasoki art (laughs) oh my gosh you guys um you know we have um like from pages oh gosh like we have, yeah, about over 50 pages of class material in this book. And that's Exhausting. for every class that exists in the game. In like, you know, precogs, vanguards, you know, nanosites, all evolutionists, they all get new content in this book. But then four of the classes become enhanced. And, you know, a lot of people have been sort of talking about online and, and in different areas like, well, what? What, what is an enhanced class? What does that mean? Is it like, you know, in Pathfinder Unchained, which again is sort of the equation book here. Does that mean um, that, like, we're just getting completely new rewrites of the classes? Well, no, no, it's not. We're actually providing um, some, some slight adjustments. So, like, most of those enhanced are going to be, you know, two pages with maybe a new level progression and then some of the new abilities that are in there. You know, some of the old abilities are still going to work. Um... So, okay, oh, yeah. While you're on the classes, there's four right that you
2: picked mm-hmm. to to get a enhanced version. Yes, and then every all the other classes get some extra content as well. But there's four that are enhanced in it. That's Envoy, Technomancer, Witchwarper, and Solarian. Is yes, correct. Correct. All right. What about? You don't have to, you know, give us the deeps <laughs> on what you've done with those classes. But what was it about those four classes that made them stand out from the rest to have? this kind of improvement yeah chassis put over the top of them
1: absolutely okay so so rewind a bit because there's an obvious like elephantine question in the room which um, is why don't you just nerf the operative? Um
0: and, and so
1: why I why I jokingly say this is because, you know, when you're when you're looking at it, like when I'm playing a game, I, I love having an operative at the table. They they have fun because they're really good. Um so why don't we make some of these other classes, you know, like rather than bump the operative down, why don't we look at some of these other classes and look at the specifically, not just math, but let's look at the 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 play state for some of these classes and what could make them more interesting um what could you know for lack of a better term increase a player engagement at the table um you know i just did the the keynote for cosmic crit and CritterCon, um I, I, I you know I gave a little spoiler for maybe the uh, the enhanced uh, envoy there, but you know there's there's certainly some some other classes that you know get get some little little perks in this book. Let me let me maybe uh, let me maybe pull one up. Give a give a live spoiler hey, to here. Be all nice know, hey, why not? Right? This <laughs> is again one of the perks of my job that I you know just get to. Get to enjoy, which is always fun. It's definitely a perk of our job, right here. Yeah, <laughs> to get yeah. To, to get to talk to you. About. Um. So yeah, so like, hey, you know the witch warper. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I'll, I'll take. Go. I'll take personal. I'll take personal. Like. I'll jump on the grenade, uh, the alternate reality grenade of, there used to be a Witch Warper playtest class that was really good, um, Mm -hmm. that I ran a, like, stream game of, and we switched a character from a Technomancer to a Witch Warper, and I gave a bunch of feedback, and then that maybe resulted in some overturning of the Witch Warper. Mm -hmm. So I take, Uh, I take, I take personal responsibility. So in the meetings, when I was, like, classes we should look at, uh, (laughs) so when we look at the Witch Warper now, you know, hey, like, a good example would be, like, hey, Infinite Worlds, uh, this ability functions as the character operations manual infinite which infinite worlds ability with two exceptions uh, and i'll just read you maybe maybe the first one but like first each day you gain an additional uh or you gain additional spell slots equal to those you would gain normally but these spell slots can only be used for infinite worlds hey you know that whole thing about having this class ability that like ties into your spell slots which are your for the Witch Warper, especially at first level, you're like, this is the, the amount of times we can be cool a day. Um, yeah. It really sucks when you have to make a choice between, like, a really situational thing that is supposed to be your class theme and your spellcasting, and that mm-hmm. if you burn through all of that, it's gone. Well, what if you did have a bit more, you know, hey, like... A a fifth level Witch Warper with 16 charisma has like five additional spell slots and three second level spell slots only usable for infinite worlds. So now they can use that ability. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so good. Because that was the hardest part about it. Yeah. yeah, Because Witch Warper is a cool class thematically and flavor wise and everything. But you just never. It was always so hard to use infinite worlds. Because you're pace. having to sacrifice so spells,
1: this other thing, yeah. and, and so you know this is this is what we're looking at with these enhanced versions of these classes. Is you know, um, and I, I talk about I talk about envoy um, on, a, on a different podcast, but the the idea that like with an envoy, there is a feels bad experience, even though if it is feels good in some ways. Of I spend my turn buffing someone else, so that they're gonna do better and I'm not, you know, having an active contribution. So we really looked at that as well, of like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way for the Envoy to, like, buff someone and contribute so that like you're still fi- you know Han Solo's not spending his time yelling at someone else to do better uh, Han Solo's shooting while yelling at someone so like looking at stuff like that and how we can how we can make those classes just have a better play experience and be, be a bit less binary and forced especially in support roles where a lot of support roles I feel you know Get peer pressured into doing certain moves it's the cleric problem it's the you know like hey heal me or we're all gonna die but like you you also want to contribute to things right and in Starfinder where everyone has like a gun hey maybe we should allow people to you know benefit from that or have more uses of these abilities
0: I think that you know in a lot of ways biohacker is similar in that regard I and this might just be me because Mm -hmm. I've, I've I have like a level six seven biohacker now I think and I as awesome as it is knowing that you know the biohacks that I've thrown out have contributed excellently I still feel like every turn I'm just deciding who to buff or who to debuff and I guess in a lot of ways that's like a pathfinder witch sort of style it it feels that way to me but I guess biohacker has a a, a needle rifle they can use or whatever, so they, they get it's a little, little bit more offensive,
1: I suppose. Uh, yeah, and, and just like, again, d- d- directing into into the game. I actually think biohacker is is a is a class that benefits from enhanced for another reason um, that I, again, am pretty excited about that we're going to to have an enhanced, which is. Um, in the like other rules section, there is a whole segment on class uses for resolve points that are not you. that are not tied in. Biohacker is actually like a gremlin of mine from um, the Org play days. Um, here, here I'll give you like a I'll, I'll 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 call out something in one of our books that would make you scratch your head. Biohacker, innately from the character operations manual, has zero ways. To interact with resolve points beyond um, beyond Dying. their like capstone level ability to gain res- gain more resolve points, it has nothing in the class to spend it in. Calm, like I'm certain. Since then, we've we've tossed a bunch of things in. I think even enhanced has some because all the classes get four pages of new rules. Um, but but. Then you look at one of the archetype builds in in calm, and it says, oh, one of the feats you should take is extra resolve." And I remember seeing that when I was going <laughs> through character building, and I'm like, "What?" Um, but then we, you know, this this led to a discussion where we were talking about enhanced and what could be in there, and you know, we talked about like, you know, hey, resolve points. I've I've kind of spoiled some of these, um, but I'll I'll spoil one here. It's like, okay, so some some examples of like how you can use resolve points in this book is, um, hey, here's a here's a thing in our game. If you have two different crit crit. Hit effects. Um, you have to pick one of them to apply. What if you could spend a resolve point to let you hit them with both of those crit effects if you've Damn. got them on there? Um, I would do that.
0: <laughs> oh, <totally. laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. And so, so like I, I believe it was Jessica Catalan who did these, um, but did like a lot of you know broke them down into you know what are defensive, what are offensive, what are transport, what are utility based uses of resolve points. So you know, hey. Here, here, here. I'll give you two new ones. But, like, you can spend a resolve point to take an additional move action on your turn. Like, there, positioning. Yep. Like, and, and, and why I love that for, for resolve points is I think resolve. A lot of people in Starfinder right now have this. Um, have have this belief that it's really hard to to die, unless it's like an overwhelming encounter that just kills everyone. Otherwise, you know, you spend the resolve points that maybe you don't have a ton of uses for innately and you just get your stamina back and you're good to go and you've got like a good pool of resolve points if you get knocked unconscious or, you know, dying. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we're gonna give you all these cool new abilities, but boy howdy, will it be interesting in the ecosystem to see how many people start burning through those and then maybe fight the thing that hits them hard and suddenly they don't have that giant pool. Right,
0: they yeah, don't have the resolve uh, that, to get that's back That's actually up. huge. I think uh-huh. that's a, it's a fantastic like, man. <laughs> I just love hearing that because it's such a fantastic way of creating balance without specifically nerfing something. Yeah,
2: right, right. Or, or, like, or
0: specifically overtuning every encounter in order to force people to burn their resolve on getting up.
2: Right, I, I yeah, love that it, that yeah. puts the agency in the players' hands. Right to decide. What's worth the risk, you know? Like, and and the the, the couple resolve spinners that you just mentioned are useful and will be alluring for a player to want to use, you know. Mm-hmm. But there'll be some like dramatic decision that's It's like, okay, well, if I can get both these crit effects off, that'd be great. But now I'm one point away from being below my threshold of being able to pop back up when I want to. I just I think it's it's a really clever way to. Introduce that, as Zach said, without it feeling like, well, we just buffed everything else up to to all the enemies up and made players easier to kill because that was a complaint we had about the system. You know, like this is such a much more elegant way to do that. Well, it's not a
0: punishment, yeah, yeah. right? It's not a punishment for for creating your character who is uh, maybe min maxed or whatever, right? What you're doing is giving giving the the player agency. And how to spend this resource that otherwise feels like it's not getting used. It's just in the tank, you know. Oh, I got a short rest, or oh, I've got to, you know, stay in the fight. Here, you're creating options that give choices, uh, and you know. Oh man, I, I love that. I love that idea. I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and 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 one thing about this system, I mentioned there's these different like buckets of them. Uh, you only get to pick per day one thing from each of those buckets to like to be able so you don't get like it's not like we're presenting you two full pages of all these new no you're going to get like four of these that you can you know use situationally right so mm-hmm. it's not just like oh here's like a whole bunch like there's you know there's going to be four new uses of resolve that you can use but you're, you're, you're getting to pick it and maybe tailor it to your, to your character maybe you want to take the, the resolve spending thing that makes you know reloading better maybe you want to take the resolve thing that makes you you know crit better like there it gives some agency and choice to the players which is again what this book is really about um i That's mentioned awesome. that like you know we have these other rules sections um the other two sort of areas that go in there is narrative starship combat which is something people have asked for for a while and then we have a, a smaller section um just called gm tools which for me is a great example of something where we've looked at the game and it you know We've looked at the game and we've decided that hey, maybe our scaling for DCs at high level is a bit too punishing. Maybe we should pre- present some better scaling for high level encounters, which we do. Um, you know, there's also text uh, in here on like milestone leveling. Like, hey, do you want to run your games using milestone leveling and not tracking individual experience? I know personally, the number of campaigns I see nowadays where people are just using storytelling milestone leveling is getting bigger and bigger every Day and people aren't tracking like every encounter experience now they're just like this is the yeah. point in the story where you level up this is that's how we do it that's Absolutely. how we do every game yeah. yeah that's how I do it in my home cam and then yeah. of course you know the the one that I think everyone's been been pining for since pf2 uh, tread the waters uh the free archetype variant rule okay oh, great
2: yeah oh, like fantastic uh, it's so funny uh, I was planning on just doing that anyway for mm-hmm. our next big show whenever we wrap up the APA and start something fresh um I was already toying around with the idea of just doing that Um, so it'll be nice to see that that, that'll be kind of officially in the books anyway as an option because it it is and particularly with Starfinder too there's not a lot of archetypes that are like overly powered in the they're very niche and like flavorful and so I, I like giving players the option to add that flavor to their character without feeling like it's at the expense of their class features you know
0: Absolutely. Okay, so that's Starfinder Enhanced. I feel like you've given us a (laughs) a good bit on that, and thank you for that. I I think uh, I'm very much looking forward to the release of this book. We've also got another book that you touched on uh, earlier that definitely has my attention now, the Ports of Call release. What what can we expect from that? Can you give us the pitch on that? Yeah, so... um,
1: at its core, Ports of Call is a book that is going to introduce a lot of uh, you know, what we call Ports of Call. Different different small like different well, not small, but varying size settlements to the, the to, to Starfinder. Um, to give you kind of your, you know, home base feel, I, I think is a good is a good way to, to say it. Um, each of these provides, you know, um, a stat block for the settlement. We have a, a lovely sort of um, two-page spread where half, like, the bottom half is text that grows over, and the the top is, like, a two-page, half-page spread of what the settlement looks like zoomed away. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, And then we have also, along with that... Have a half-page map for each of the settlements, so you can just nice. th- drop it in there. And then we go into, you know, each of them, along with the stat block, has, um, you know, geography, residents, you know, conflicts and threats, notable locations, all of this, all of this content that just tells you, like, hey, how do you, h- how do you, you know, like play in this settlement? What's going on in this settlement? What's happening here? Uh, and then some mechanics. Like, you know, I pulled up uh, one of them right now, and it's like, okay. And then this this place has, you know, some. Some uh, different like botanical wonders, so it has some neat biohacker content and some new serums. So there's like mechanics that are are spread throughout this book. Um, we have one, two, I think. Five, six, seven, eight, uh, yeah, ten. Ten major settlements in this book, including, you know, the one that i sure has popped up everywhere, Galarian World, um, (laughs) which is the planetary theme park. But also we have, you know, interesting ones like uh, Azadamar, which is a settlement that's in the Scoured Stars. So we take a look at what's happened in the Scoured Stars since all the org play stuff and the AP that's well the, the hardback compilation that's coming out um then we also have you know some new places like you know Shulgi Station or Precipice on um on a poste and then maybe you know a fan favorite like Outpost Zed from a certain adventure path um yeah. This, this, so this book provides us that content, which is like core. And then, um, a whole section on other ports. Uh, so these are like smaller ports, you know, maybe a couple paragraphs to toss in. Then we we include some NPC contacts you can meet, throw into your campaigns with some art and how they can interface with your campaigns. We take the fly for your die cargo system and side job systems and codify that in a hardback book. Um, Love those with a we you know Thanks. just so that people can use them outside of those games. You know expanded downtime, starship options, all to connect in. We have uh, four new ancestor species in this book, um, oh, cool. including like Zulgaths, which you know troglodytes or for. you know, we have, yeah, you want to play just a giant cool. Here's the rules for playing a giant. Um, we also have a scoured star species in here is the fear, the sort of gaseous species that appears later in the scoured stars adventure path. Um, all of that is really cool. Um, and like, it's just like content for people who want to build their own games or, you know, add flavor to their games. I think, you know, Oppo Z is a great example, you know, that shows up in a certain AP we run. Um, some of those other places are just, you know, useful areas for you, you to have if you're running your homebrew and just need a station or you just want to, you know, have the players go somewhere. Um, but to To me uh i think the the most exciting part of this book is actually the introductory section of it um for the first time we we have a a galaxy map which i think our twitter recently posted um yeah i think our our twitter account recently posted an untagged version of that map Um, you know desna's path the galaxy of our setting um so that's something that is you know we're going to be we're going to be doing some interesting uh things there when and providing a map which we haven't really had like a full map of the setting yet so we're going to look at what is that what does that look like in our setting um and then you know drift lanes um after the drift crisis there's these the creation of these things called drift lanes which are you know corridors within the drift that allow for faster than normal drift travel that connect different areas of space. Um, and this is something that goes back to some of those talks that I've been, you know, having with the team uh, and you know what these what these drift lanes let us do for storytelling purposes. A, a good example of this is we have a drift lane, you know, called the um, the the conqueror's path which goes from the Vescarium all the way to, to Embroy uh, and the Embry people that we've we've mentioned. But along the way, that drift lane also drops off into the Aslanti Star Empire. So what happens when the Vescarium and the Aslanti have direct, you know, touch points to one another? I'm sure nothing
2: <laughs> nothing destructive will happen in that instance. Well,
1: I mean, what happens <laughs> with the fact that when you look at the map, um, <laughs> the, the Vescarium has four drift lanes coming out of it right now. Like, they're, oh, they're no. an epicenter location. Uh, and oh, so, so we, we have these drift lanes that are also on the map, as well as, you know, giving some, some notes on things like, hey, this is, you know, a rough cutout of what Swarm Space looks like. This is a rough cutout of, you know, Aslante space. We, we put all of that on a map for you. Um, and, and that, to me, is just really exciting. And we, we talk about, you know, um, the galaxy itself, and in the galaxy map, like, you know, there at the center of our galaxy is a great black hole that's called Old Rovagug. What's that about? Um, you know, what's this weird sort of coil section called Phorasma's coil that's like burning through the... the ga- we, we, we introduce all of these very like large scale stellar phenomena and that just makes the setting... Uh, bigger and you know introduces setting stuff even if you want to do your own you know campaign like your own like make your own content make your own planet which is still very critical to us but now you could do that and be like oh this planet we're gonna go explore that I'm just making up that's in Erasmus Coiler that's close to old Rovigug, and that ties into the broader setting and brings that element of actually playing a Starfinder game rather than I've you know made my Star Wars thing and I'm just gonna use these rules right like we can we can start bringing more elements in
0: yeah, yeah, you're creating um, opportunities to to make it both to make the setting, the lore, both more fantasy and more sci-fi in tandem. Yeah. you know, in the, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well,
2: with with all this, it sounds like you've set up this. You know, the the theme of today's conversation has been okay. We've set up this board for now. We're gonna dig in, and to that end, with the Drift Hackers AP wrapping up. You know, the, this big world changing event, kind of the first one that's, that's happened, um, in this, in the world and in the system. Mm-hmm. What do, what do we have to look forward to when it comes to adventures for, uh, Starfinder post drift
1: crisis? Absolutely. So um, we've talked about Scoured Stars. So Scoured Stars was originally going to release this summer. There were some some delays. It's kind of getting pushed to early next year. Um, that first of all is going to be a 256 page hardcover adventure book that spans, I believe, its first to fifteenth level by the end of it. Um, in twelve different adventures, two of those adventures being. Like double length adventures. Each one of those adventures can be done in about five, five hours of play um, and each one of those adventures gives you a level. Um, I think at the end of the day, the math on this is like, yeah, you can complete this whole adventure path in like 75 hours of playtime. Um, not that, you know, people will have to do that, but it's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be our, also our first, um, adventure path. That's gonna, you know, really lean into milestone leveling. It's going to lean into like, you know, there's a sidebar in there that says, these are the points of the adventure when, you know, you're going to have a starship combat. So this is where you need to upgrade your starship for. And it gives like the GM and the players heads up on that. Um, mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, a... A classic, you know. That's where I. That's where I started. Um, was was Scoured Stars was the first storyline I really told in Starfinder, and now what we're doing is we're we're like getting the chance to review it. Like it was it was very fun going through old forum posts and reviews to find complaints people had to try to fix them. Um, but also like, hey, each of these adventures gets like a cool half page art piece now of like an intro, and we're just sort of giving that storyline to a lot of people who maybe didn't play an organized play and you know didn't get that sort of uh big epic space opera that we had going on um so that that's going to happen and i think that'll just be a different type of content um Now, we haven't announced anything after that. I can't quite announce new things, but I will say that last year at PaizoCon we certainly teased an adventure path, uh, something to do with big stompy robots uh, and mechs, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say you should certainly show up to our Secrets of Galarian panel at PaizoCon where we'll probably talk a bit more about that, and maybe <laughs> see what uh, Jenny's been been cooking up. Um, but yeah, we we certainly have we certainly have more adventures to tell, and don't worry that's not going anywhere um I think we'll we'll be announcing some some fun things at Pizocon. I would also say, you know, be on the lookout for Gen con this year. I think there'll be some some pretty solid announcements there for starfinder um but like this PaizoCon, we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about you know maybe some upcoming adventures maybe some other upcoming products we have and sort of where the team's at and then i think you'll start seeing some some of the bigger announcements and you know not, not that the pizocon the won't be big trust me it'll be big but like we'll, we'll start seeing some of the you know next steps um at gen con as well and so the, there is a bright future i i want to stress you know people are like oh well we aren't hearing anything there's 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 Method to all of our madness in this, and we want to, you know, for me it's important not just to be pushing out products, but but to be pushing out products like that are that are important to the ecosystem and are going to make this, you know, this game and this brand do better, Um, and really, you know, not just throwing out an adventure for the sake of doing an adventure because someone had a cool idea, but putting out an adventure because it's going to strengthen our brand or putting out a hardcover that, you know, is going to tie into stuff we're doing or, you know, like Enhanced, I think, is going to be something that just the ecosystem of the game needs. And so a lot of what we've been really doing is sitting down and looking at, like, what is this game... Need from an ecosystem perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're really like the team is again so excited for, for this stuff. And it's like I have to always bite my tongue not to mention a certain thing or, you know, ha ha ha. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, but we're, we're <laughs> getting, we're getting to a point where we're going to be talking about some stuff really soon. So I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think with Drift Hackers ending, you know, one of the things is, is that one of the things I should say is, is that we've got also a huge backlog. Like the, the thing about releasing Adventure Pads is very, few people, like, keep up with them consistently. Mm, Um, Like, those are two-year endeavors. So I would rather let people sit on some of the content we have right now where they can go in and they can enjoy it, and then the next thing is going to be really really big and exciting. I mean, we also have Drift Crisis Case Files that just came out. Um, So that's like a, you know, a bunch of smaller adventures. We have organized play that's still going on. Like, there's content that is is coming out um, and adventure content that's coming out. But also, you know, like Once Scoured Stars, maybe this little little unannounced mech project Uh, i think there'll be some some differences out there that that'll you know maybe shake things up for for our adventures and yeah
2: i mean i think you touched on it pretty pretty good in the sense that like i i I, for one as the one that reads most of the adventures (laughs) am grateful for some time to like catch up catch a breath and like I, I, I have a sense just from, from your post and from your team's engagement that this is like a deep breath in to like recalibrate <laughs> Starfinder to have this. I'm just excited to see what next year looks like for Starfinder because you can tell that there's some thought going into the future of it. And I think focusing more on making the game function the way that you guys envision it is an important step to take, you know, for whatever new adventures might come down the line. You know,
0: yeah, I, I, you know, we had we had the great pleasure of being able to uh, pick Jenny's brain a while back as well, and just getting to talk to both of you uh, as as being sort of sort of the you know sort of some of the main players in Starfinder right now. It sounds like you're really passionate about this system, about this lore, about the world, and about the game. And I am so excited for for the future of this. I think we've got many, many, many more stories to tell and anybody who thought that Starfinder 2e is is, you know, creeping up on us, it sounds like we have a lot more, a lot more stuff going on in Starfinder 1e before we ever arrive at that point. I personally don't think the system, Needs a second edition yet? Person, Ooh. that's just me. That's just me. I don't. I don't think it needs a second edition yet.
2: No, I agree. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I. I will say. I think you know the stories we're going to tell are going to be bigger. They're going to have direct impact. We're talking about things. I was. Um. I got pulled into a meeting with our publisher Eric, and just off. Off the. Off the cuff, I threw out an idea that we, like the team, had discussed, and how it, like, all fit together. And it was like one of these, you know, conspiracy board type situations of like, well, if we do this, we know this is true, so we could do this, and da da da. And Eric flies back in his chair, and is like, like, holding his head, like, oh my, and like, we, we immediately because eric is a creative even though he's the publisher of our company he he will like immediately start going into like the deep dive like have you thought about like this lower implication and this and this is i'm like eric i'm i'm just at the point where i'm asking you can we do this ridiculous thing and he's like oh I, whoa. like and so this is the level <laughs> of which like I, I'll i'll tell you like we're we're talking about you know Deities. We're talking about blowing up planets. We're taught like there's all of this level of stuff like, you know, what does that conquerors path drift lane mean? Like what, you know, all of these things that we want to we want to set off and start looking at and investigating. I mean, they're there. And this is on top of things that, you know, we've we've been setting the scene for for a while. I like. I, I personally um, am a very, very fond uh, or a very big supporter of like the Gitteron and Marixa, you know, conflict in your space. I think sure. that is something we've been building up for a while, and I would be very disappointed if we didn't see payoff on that. Um, but I also think there's some other cool things out there that we could be exploring and maybe doing more with. You know, Nearspace has this whole civilization called the Zandite Collective that doesn't really show up or have much of a presence in our setting right now, but it gets a whole thing in near space, and, you know, maybe we want to do some <laughs> stuff there. Uh, <laughs> then we have all these packed worlds, like... We have right, all yeah, these yeah. packed worlds where, you know, a lot of them right now have these sort of status quo situations or like, ah, oh, this is the, the undead planet. Boo, haunted house. Um, maybe there's stuff we can do there. Maybe, you know, maybe Eox has a bit uh, more I'll, going
2: on than Zoe. You know? That Octurn Egg's got to crack open at some <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Octurn oh, has certainly been our, on our agenda. I'll, I'll say that. Like, <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of people who, uh, who have, have very different thoughts on the ways that could go, and the, yeah. I think the directions we're looking for some of those stories are really exciting. You know, part, one of the things we recently did with the pack worlds that I thought was really good, um, we sat down and went through each of the pack worlds and talked about what kinds of stories these places should tell. Um, and, like, really Broke that down into like, this is a place that's about traditional fantasy stories and exploration and, you know, tradition versus modernization. Um, this planet is about what wi- the like Wild West stories, industrial punk. Like, you can probably tell what planets I'm talking about by most of these. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but like, it was really good for us to just like codify that in a way that is, you know, when we're telling stories here, it's easy. To just pick a planet and toss a story. But, like, there are certain archetypes we should be leaning into. Because, you know, it's different when you're running a home game and you want to shake things up. But when we're publishing stuff, you know, we only get so many adventures. So we shouldn't be shying away from the archetypes because that's what they're there for. Um, Right. And I I, I think it's just really
0: exciting that
1: the direction that we can take with some of these places.
0: And I think that's a, a great spot. To, to end it there Thurston I, I've really really enjoyed picking your yeah, brain. I'm, certainly definitely. Adam has too I think everybody listening to this is going to really enjoy some of the insights that you have given us uh, I am personally very very excited for the future of Starfinder I think it's in good hands and I can't wait to see what you have to show us uh, so before we go is there anything you want to plug your socials or what you got going uh, on well anything there's this you game can, Starfinder yeah you yeah <laughs> Actually, here,
1: here, I'll, I'll throw you a curveball. Okay, first of all, my socials. You can find me on all the things add-on called GM, so Twitch, Twitter, all the places. I sometimes stream games on Twitch, but mostly I've uh, switched over. I'm, I'm starting up, I've run one session of it, but I'm doing a Gatewalkers campaign for PF2. Uh, I've nice. got Jenny in that, so you can see some Starfinder team uh, action yeah. there. Um, so I'm doing that. Uh, you can also find me over on uh, Narrative Declaration, IGM for that. That's kind of a, a Soulsborne-inspired world world that i i uh i've helped create um and uh, i gm uh for uh, the rot grind campaign on that along with uh uh our good friend zorn the bear uh, aka peyton who used to work at paizo as her marketing person um so i uh, you know i I still work there that's a that's a show i do bi-weekly um and then uh, for, you know, more, more maybe less personal but professional plugs, I would say uh, PaizoCon, please uh, come, stop by, play games at PaizoCon. Um, but also, that's, you know. It,
2: that's all online, right? Yeah,
1: Memorial Day uh, weekend, uh, so next month. We're going to have panels. Uh, we haven't announced the, the times yet, but we're going to have two Starfinder panels that I think are going to be of really, like, important note to people. We're going to have our Secrets of the Pact World, where we're going to, you know, maybe reveal a couple of things. We're also going to talk deep dive a bit more of lore. Maybe start peeling back some ideas the team has, uh, and really introduce the, the the like the team on a you know on its current in its current iteration, I should say. Um, along with that, we're also going to have a nuts and bolts talk on enhanced and some of the mechanics stuff. So expect you know maybe a bigger deep dive into mechanics and talk about stuff than even I'm giving out in some of these. Um, So yeah, please come check us out. And then Gen Con. I think, you know, paizo we're gonna have some big announcements gen con we're probably gonna have some you know big big announcements so just keep your keep your ears to the ground um for that but you know those are gonna be our, our you know those are always are our, our two big releases um but just just yeah keep an eye out for those and uh, yeah that's that's everything i got that's all i got for, for it I, 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 yeah. I think that's a pretty but, good uh, uh, thank you so
0: much no thank you yeah again thank you for taking the time to come talk to us today it's, it's been a pleasure and, um, yeah, I mean, nothing left to do, but until next time, yep. we'll see, see you. See ya. Yeah. Bye.